0: OK, guys, are we doing? Are we happy? I think we've stayed oh, on we're track right. better than I thought we would. <laughs> That's because you're talking, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about
1: How difficult is it to tell a player that they're not going to be in the World Cup squad? And how, and how do you go about having that conversation, that difficult selection conversation with somebody? Gary, what are your thoughts on that?
2: <clears throat> so, there's a, there's, it's, it's a bit of a two edged sword, this one for me. So, selection itself, and against one, the, I think one of the challenges for all coaches, and it can be any sport really on selection, is that it can be a really negative thing about mixed So, there's, there's a young coach I worked with last year who, really good coach, and just had nightmares about selection. He's quite matey and quite close to the, the team. And he, from Wednesday onwards, he's, his coaching world was a nightmare of worried about selection and telling people, not in and not out. And it seems a simple thing that I spoke to him about, but he really changed his world a little bit when I said, so are you picking not the best team then? He went, well, no. So so you're picking it for what? So for poor reasons. And I went, oh, you're picking it for the best of the whole squad. And he went, just picking it. And he's a really good lad. He said, I'm just picking it for the best of the squad. And I went, well, oh. Telling somebody not in is quite easy, then isn't it? Because actually, if you did if you were picking somebody that wasn't the best for your squad, it then becomes quite difficult. Um, so once you get your head around that, as long as everything's for the right reasons that you've thought it through and it's for your frame of reference, you know, there will be players that you know, there's loads of players that, that I'm sure that other coaches would have picked differently than I picked, but I was, you know, and we always had you know pretty much clear lines, and but it was who I was going to pick. So once you get around that. The selection bit becomes really easy. Hurting people's emotions is still incredibly difficult, especially around the girls at that time. So we we're, we were all amateur, but a lot of the players had left their jobs, gone home to live with mom and dad, um, stopped careers to have this potential. We're going to walk up and we tra- were training with a squad of 32, which we had to get down to 26. And although it was 100%, I wouldn't have made any changes to the players that we didn't select at the time. The effort and time and commitment that they put in made that really difficult to tell them. But it wasn't anything to do with there was no difficulty in a rugby selection. But it's just the fact that you know I'm really sorry you've given up your job for six months, but this is this is the 26. I thought for the best. Um, so again, just have to be honest. And to be honest, we were we're very honest in that whole selection process I'd I, you know take any of the positions at any one time we were pretty clear if there was 44 in a room and I said right who's right, who's our number one seven at the moment stand up they would have stood up and said and why number two would have done the same right who's second and who's third so I don't think there were any um, any occasions where players thought they were somewhere where they weren't and there may be a little bit especially looking back when it's a long time ago but I was pretty convinced at the time, those conversations we had that people knew where they stood. So difficult for individuals,
3: but easy as a coach.
1: Right. Graham, what's your experiences with that? It,
3: it comes back to your, your frame of reference. <clears throat> we were lucky. Uh, you know, even when I started in 2003, uh, we were lucky with the, the the quality of people we had. Uh not just as rugby players, but as, as individuals as well, the, the, the drive. And I don't like the word sacrifice because I don't think it is a sacrifice. It's a commitment and it's a huge commitment. And it's a commitment that can affect your families. Um, but um, you just have to be brutally honest with people. And you have to be, if you start fudging, particularly with women, They'll, they'll pull you to pieces about it. So you have to be absolutely 100% sure of your reasons why you're selecting and how you communicate with that player that isn't selected. Um, and, and if you do that, then then I think you've done everything that you can. They're not going to be happy. Uh, and and like Streety says, you're breaking people's hearts. So it's not easy. It's not done lightly. But the selection bit generally is easy. Um i mean 2014 was the most difficult world cup selection in terms of quality throughout the squad twenty sixteen I think we had fifteen players who selected themselves and then you know your 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 um, your backup started to um become a little bit varied in its 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 abilities twenty ten was stronger, but 2014 was the strongest you know. Um, and and we, we didn't select players who would have walked into other international teams. You know, that, that's how lucky we were with the players we had. Um, and, um, you know, they, they, they fought for it. And, and you generally selected the player uh, who, who you probably trusted most. And, and Gary and I have been accused of having favourites throughout our careers. I certainly have. And those favourites people will name and uh, in those names will be Rochelle Clark, will be Tamara Taylor, will be Sarah Hunter, will be Maggie Alfonsi uh, and I've got two comments on that. One is I could trust and, and the other one who's, who's underrated and undervalued and never mentioned enough is Southie Heming, the greatest technical prop this country's ever produced, male or female and the reason is her work ethic was incredible, and I knew 100%. I could trust that Sophie would be in bath gym at 6 p.m. Uh, sorry, 6 a.m. with Kath Spencer. She's probably dragged Kath along, but she's got her there, and, and and that's why you select that person because the other player may not be in the gym at 6 a.m. and 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 so. If it's a favourites tag, I'll, I'll accept it because that's the person I trusted.
1: And just building on that um, element of, of trust, when it came to picking a captain, obviously you picked Katie Daly-McLean. Was there a conversation about anyone else you should have picked Probably as captain? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you both did you both agree? Was it a discussion? Did it get quite heated I, I want all the gossipy details on- I on, said earlier, on the we, had,
3: we had two arguments in our career over selection. This was the second one.
1: Tell us the story what what happened who was who else is in the it, running it's if you um, feel comfortable
3: saying. No no it's quite it's quite simple I would have selected Sarah Hunter as captain I felt Sarah offered more for the squad. Um uh and I felt that uh, Sarah wore a calmness and an attention to detail and and for me when you pick a captain one of the, the greatest requirements of a captain is to lead by example. It doesn't have to be about shouting the odds. You know, Spence Spence was a very 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 good captain, but she wasn't a big swearer and and shouter. So she used to just give Rocky a tap, and Rocky would scream and shout and and and, uh, uh, and, and uh, shout four letter expletives. Um, um, but Gary had a vision for the captaincy, um, which. I don't think either of us were wrong. Uh, you know, Sarah Hunt has been proved to be a fantastic captain of England, um, but Katie McLean was the captain of a World Cup winning team. So we were both right in our thinking, but I will push him as hard as I can. But at the end of the day, I, I mean, I've I've never treated him as a head coach. OK, because Ke- Kevin baring's said a long time ago the way we worked together was one of the greatest examples of co-coaching that he'd he'd ever experienced however gary was the head coach and the final decision was his so there's two things i would never do one if i if i didn't like something unless i had an option unless i had a a different way of doing it that i knew would work What's the point of bringing it up I, I i really really angers me when people come to meet and saying i don't like that i'd say what would you do oh i don't know but i don't like it well shut your bloody mouth okay because you're getting on my nerves um but but streety he wanted katie and, and, and he was proved right you know and, i think and, yeah go on take <coughs> over mate <coughs> that's
2: what it's interesting by and i think you're right sarah hunter's a fabulous captain and we probably had a host of potential captains um, in that bit, but, and you live and die by your selections, don't you really? And I think yeah, she probably won't was saying it. I don't think Katie would have been everybody's choice. You know, she is fiery. She's from up North. She's very willful. She's an amazing competitor. And that's the bit I loved and the way that she played, you know, i say i have known her for a long time We spent 2006 together on, on a pitch. With four of us kicking the ball around, trying to uh, desperately wanting to be involved in in a World Cup, and she was just a born winner. And my thoughts were, I knew Sarah Hunter could do the job every day of the week. I did think that with ten minutes to go in a World Cup final, Katie might find a tactical solution better than anybody else that I'd I've, I've worked with in that stage. And and again, I'm sure that there were loads of con- contenders for ten. Katie played ten the way I wanted to ten to play really with lots of them and and that was it you know that, and that's a lot of how you've been brought up what it what the game looks like um, <clears throat> and the the that fierce competitiveness of what she brought up was I was an angry as most girls I was an angry player on the pitch I just hated everybody hated the referee the opposition I am um, I got involved in one ruck in my in my whole career um, <laughs> and as Graham. I wasn't the bravest player. I was hopefully quite a decent player, but I was never a brave player. And I remember I fell over with the ball, and there was a ruck, and I felt and I saw a load of socks coming in. It was the opposition came in, and I was getting absolutely booted from all over. And they and these red socks, I think it was. And then there was some green, white, and red hoop socks, which was my socks. And then I was getting booted by a load of <laughs> red, white, and green socks as well. And then to finish it off. A pair of black socks joined in. The referee, a <laughs> piled in as well. <laughs> so I, I got kicked to death because I was a pretty obnoxious, grumpy scrum half. I think Katie reminded me about that sometimes when she played. She played with a bit of angriness, a bit of competitiveness about her, and um, but she couldn't half play as well. So um, yeah, was, we had we could have had lots of captains, but you know, Katie Sarah Hunter has it. as it ended up proved to be uh, the dream team?
1: Was there ever discussion of of Co captains, I know that's something a couple of coaches have done. I know that's something Eddie Jones has done in the past. Did that ever enter into the vision at all, or, or did you just want sort of one captain, one voice with, with <coughs> other leadership roles, just not having an official sort of title?
2: I, I so I remember this well, Graham. So, yes, yeah, so we had Sportsite sports with us as well at the time, and um, and it was kicked around. Um, just not sure it would have worked because it, and you know, with. Sarah Hunt has got a very, very team first about her, and and Katie has the same as an England captain but she's also very driven individually as well to make things happen for the team and I think it, just calling co-captains because it would have been easier for everybody to say it was nice and I don't manage. To but I did think about it for a long time but you know those are the times where you need to put your neck on the line and go actually you know, I know it sounds nice and probably I'm going to upset anybody but um, and it was hard. It's really difficult, you know. They're so they're both so strong candidates, and um, and Sarah was really disappointed. Um, and either of them would have been. But I okay, guess sometimes you just got to go. Oh, that's what I, that's what I believe. And if you know if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then uh, as a coach, you
3: it takes your choice. But, but you've also got to look at the team, and 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 you can tag anybody. And and, and you know, uh, giving a title to somebody is one thing, but but getting somebody to do a job when you've got Rocky Clark, um, Sophie Heming, Tamara Taylor, Maggie Alfonsi, Rachel Burford, uh, Nolly Waterman on the field. You've, you've got, you've got six, seven captains, you know, so, so it's a, and, and most of those made the leadership group up that we had as well. So, um, there was a lot of support on the field for whoever was the person with the the, the captain's tag, and I think uh, some to captain. Two of the games did not she straight?
2: Yeah, well, Katie got injured at the last minute of um of the first game as well, so we didn't see Katie back to the semi. I mean, at one stage, we we didn't think we'd get back here at all. And um, incredible work from the medical team and Katie herself. To you know, she was on a a game ready machine pretty much twenty hours a day. So she we got she was up in the middle of the night having. That you know, we we thought there's no chance, and then she was back for the. We thought mm, final at most, and then she was back for the semi. So, um, yeah. So so Sarah Hunter just picked up, picks it up anyway. We all just carried on.
1: And just sort of going and then building on more of sort of the facilities look of of the build up in your preparation to the tournament. Obviously, you visited the facilities in France to get a sort of grip of what they were like. Why is that important? for a coach going and, and sort of seeing what the facilities are like and getting a feel for it and I, I hear there's a story about being uh, putting a gym in one of the building and it, and it costing quite a bit I wonder if you could tell me about that Gary well
2: at this stage now we were and again there was no way in my head I could ever go home if we didn't win in 2014 and I think I think we all felt it we, we felt that you know this had to happen it almost it it Became sort of a destiny, I think, more than anything. That this our journey, and um, so were there extra bits that we could do. So we were we were really supported by the RFU at this stage, and we had a plan about a year before about what 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 do we not want to miss? What do we do? So we were we, we knew we were, so we were given a choice of hotels, and um, as everybody else were, and some facilities and grounds. So. So we we went out and just so we got our prep right. Me, Graham, and our manager Jeanette went out. We we stopped in the hotel. We slept. We slept on the beds. We felt what that's going to be like. Uh, Jeanette wasn't happy with the sleep, so we needed mattress stoppers or different mattresses, etc. Um, we got the lay of the land of the um, of the hotel. So we were sharing with USA. There was one really nice big meeting room that went onto onto the balcony with the swimming pool. There was a really rubbishy meeting room, the other end of the the other end of the hotel that was a dingy thing with no lights in. Um, So obviously, so we make so post that going out there, we got that we knew when USA were going to the to the hotel, so we got there three days early. We obviously commandeered the meeting rooms. We put our rehab bike, we put our bikes while the swim. We we pretty much just took all the best bits of the hotel to be honest. And we were there and the, the staff were used to us. We'd already been, been there before we'd met them We were the nice English people that had come out last month. Um, everything was set up for us. You know, so the, so the rehab pool, we got ice baths and we just put them all where we want them really. Um, and then probably one of the other things that made a big difference, we were obviously it's quite alien going out to France. The, the gym use that everybody had, most people stayed at Marcusis and there was a communal gym, really nice gym. Um, but you had to book in times and when you could use it and stuff. So we decided we, we weren't going to take a chance. If we want to use it at seven o'clock on a Tuesday morning and Canada booked it, we didn't want to get involved in any of that. So again, so we, somebody came up with the idea. I'm not sure. Not sure I can't remember it was now. Maybe the SSC boys. Could we take, so some? the idea was, and again, so Graham talked about so these checking challenges. Let's just, let's throw ideas out, right? So what are we going to do? We're going to use Marcus's gym. Is that good? It's all right. What about if we had the Twickenham gym out there? And I go, what do you mean? What? And so one of those ideas, I think somebody kicked around and said, What about if we took the whole of the Twickenham gym and put it in France, in this place? And we've been there, there was a there was a, a great space for it. And we spent tens of thousands of pounds on transport transporting the whole gym out there. All the equipment, the weights, the floor, the livery around it. And so we'd we, so we turn up to this strange, random place in France in the at the rugby club, and you walked in, and it was as though you'd walked into the gym at Twickenham. And the impact on that was just massive. So I did not So I remember going to the coaches' meeting on the night and going up to the Kiwi coach, who obviously hadn't brought any gyms over and was using Marcuse, so was, as I was well aware, and having a bit of a whisper with him, asking them. Um, so what gym are you using? I'm assuming you've bought your own gym over because you wouldn't be able to use the one in Marcusis, would you? Which wound him up no end, really, about <laughs> the fact that there's no way anybody that's going to win the World Cup would use this uh, substandard gym in Marcusis. And um, and the Goose, who's the, the Irish coach, who lots of people will know, um, then had a funny conversation where he wound him up even more, where he sort of uh, pretended he didn't know anything about it, where the, uh, the Kiwis then started going mental about England have taken out their own gym um but it was and I think for the players in that prep and we hadn't told them that we're doing that is that they were you know we they knew that we were going to do anything in our power to do this and if it was taking out the gym from Twickenham and a big lorry well yeah we're gonna do that as well so that was powerful
1: that probably helped the players mental preparation obviously going from the the previous World Cup where there was people lined on the streets, and you weren't ready for it. To then, how to get them mentally prepared? Actually, making them walk into a gym that felt like or was the gym at Twickenham must have been a, a sort of a massive tick in the box, and must must have really got them really mentally prepared for it.
3: Yeah, I think we've um, we've 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 skated over a little bit about the mental preparedness because we the the biggest lesson from 2010 was that we weren't mentally prepared. And, and we didn't handle the pressure. So we came up with all sorts of ideas of, of how to handle the pressure. Um, uh, uh, what ifs, you know, Streety uh, disappears in the morning and he's, he's, he's gone and and uh, suddenly I've got to take over. So all these sort of things, but the consequence training we put the girls through was, was horrendous. Um, you know, the, 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 there was one game where when we had the the 32, we'd play two teams and one team would play in white. And that was England. And if that player made a mistake, then the player from the other team had to go over and take her white shirt off her. So you've got Maggie Alfonsi knocks a ball on and I can't remember who it was. It could have been.
2: Hannah Gallagher.
3: Hannah Gallagher. Uh, Hannah Gallagher, who was, you know, that Saracens with Maggie, where Maggie was the big star, and Hannah Gallagher as a young girl had to go over to Maggie and say, "Give me your England shirt."
2: And well, the, line, the line was, "You're not fit to wear the shirt." Was the line? That was it. Oh, yeah, no.
3: you're not fit to wear the shirt. <laughs> and and so you imagine taking a white England shirt off Maggie Alfonzi <laughs> or <the> Rochelle Car. <laughs> the other game that Streetie came up with was um, a, a penalty game. So we play you had blown a whistle penalty against Red, and you'd got two kickers on each team. So, on one team, there was uh, uh, Emily Scarrett and um, Kerry Large, and on the other team was Katie McLean. And who was the other kicker?
2: I can't remember at the time now. Who have you got? Um, maybe Mo, probably.
3: Maybe Mo. Um, and so, penalty, you had to kick the three points. If you missed the three points, you had to tell one of your teammates that they were off, if in effect yellow carded, and they had to spend 10 minutes with Pixie, our strength and conditioner getting beasted. God. <laughs> um, and and yeah, at this mean. point, all the girls had GPS on and um and and you Emily Scout, Katie McLean taking a penalty calming the heart rate down. They didn't give a jot about telling one of their teammates to go and get beasted. Poor Kerry Large, she had a kick. And uh, you tell me if I'm wrong, Streety, but her her heart rate touched 200 and she missed the kick and she burst into tears. And Marley Packer said, don't worry Kerry, I'll go. And Pixie said, no, no, you can't choose. So, you're coming anyway because you've chosen you're going to get beasted anyway. Kerry, give us a name. Oh, man. And And it, it, just, it just created such angst in her. She, she was in bits. Wow. Um, and, you know, hookers that line out put headphones on them and blast music at them so they couldn't hear anything. And, uh, you know, people were screaming the calls and had to find up ways of coming into the hooker to. Um, visually give a, a clue to the call rather than being able to tell them the call and we went through all this consequence training and pressure training for exactly the situations that we were going to face in uh, in France uh, at training as well as at, uh, as at the stadiums wow.
1: Yeah, I mean that sounds, I mean obviously any, anybody listening would be like wow um, you know because some of that does sound absolutely horrendous but equally within that I think anybody probably listening has to acknowledge that there are, there was a support and a trust environment to enable those games to take place. It's not just like you're taking a bunch of players and just doing it. They are in a, a support and trust environment as as <clears> we previously talked about. So it's not just like you're just beasting the players for, for no reason. I think there was a, there was a buy-in and a trust there. I do want to come to the night before your first training session in France. And, um, Gary's already laughing. I, when I when I read this question, um, and 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 I was like, I can't, I can't wait for the drama here because it's obviously a drama and a story that I know nothing about. So, I'm really intrigued. You're invited to the official dinner dinner as the team at the mayor's residence, um, and then <coughs> Gary and Jeanette you go to look at the ground and to make sure everything was okay. And then something something then happens when you're at the ground, you see something. Graham, you were still at the dinner, I assume, where Gary grows to look at the ground. Can you uh, fill, in, fill me in on the details? Because there's a story here and I'm I'm like I, hanging on the edge of a cliff.
3: Yeah, I've told this a few times. I've told this when Gary and I did a few uh, dinners together. Um, and I, 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 still, I still find it bizarre to this day. I, I just... We were at this mayor's reception in the town hall and there was all the dignitaries and, and the girls were all in their England polo shirts, the purple shirts, and we were in a white polo shirt with a gold rose on it. And uh, it, and I just got this sense, of, there's no jam man and there's no streety. Where the hell are they gone? And I was asking around, asking around, and nobody knew where they'd gone and the girls were carrying on, having a... A chatter with the local dignitaries and and uh uh the 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 town of saintree were were absolutely overwhelmed that we were using their rugby club the Pierre, the president he, he'd met us when we went in May um and then I don't know hour hour or so later Street is coming back I just looked at his face and I thought what the hell's going on and he goes we're going home oh, what do you mean we're going home? He says, they're chuffing everywhere. I said, Streetie, what the hell are you talking about? And then Jamman comes behind him and Jamman's a fiery lady from Newcastle and she's going, I'm going to And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? And she said, I've just run the IRB and I've told them if they don't, this sorting out, we're going on tomorrow. And I went, what the hell's going on? And then Jamman says, there's gypsies everywhere. I went, gypsies where? All around the field. And, and within 20 or 30 minutes of this happening, the sports minister of France arrived in Sontry, which was about 30 minutes south of Paris, and said, uh, under the law, we can't move them. We're going to do our best, and, and you're just going to have to... And, and it turned out that we were going to go to training the next day. So we go on the bus about nine o'clock and we said, if it's not right, we're getting back on the bus and we're going back to the hotel. We arrived at Sorentree Rugby Club and there were four police cars. There was eight armed police officers. The gendarmerie were there. And I'm going, what the hell is going on? We got off the bus and you've got three You've got a center first team pitch, and then you've got three rugby pitches around it. Then you've got woods out to the right of the clubhouse. And there must have been 50, 60, 70 gypsy caravans.
2: Oh, there, these were armed gypsy caravans.
3: They, they, there was bacon cooking. You could smell coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you're, you're having a laugh, aren't you? So the armed police walk us to the club, into the changing room. Girls get changed. We take them into the gym because they're going to do a weight session the first minute. They're amazed at the gym. There's a judo dojo in there that we did for rehab, prehab, and some conditioning work. And I'm standing outside where they're getting all themselves prepared, looking at a mass of gypsy caravans. You know, the first thing pitch had a fence around it. And they were parked everywhere around this field. And I'm, I'm going, yeah, mate, we, this is a, this is ridiculous. And then it just became the norm. And there was one day where I was again, sort of prowling around like a bear with the sore head because I wasn't happy about something. And I could see the girls coming out. And then in these woods, I could see these four kids coming out, I don't know, teenagers. And there was just something that the bouncer in me said, this isn't right. And so I just looked at the girls and I went, stop there. And I went to walk towards these four lads and I thought, Christ, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll do something. And then these coppers ran past me. And within seconds, these blokes were on the floor. There were guns out, there was handcuffs, and they were just whisked away. God knows what they were going to do. (laughs) And we just carried on training. And and, and Streety said to me on the phone the other day, he spoke to the girls. Some of them don't remember it. They were that focused on, we've got a job to do, that they don't remember it. Wow. The interesting thing, the conspiracy is that the morning, the day after France lost to Canada in the semi final, we turned up that day and there wasn't a caravan in sight. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, true, that's a true story. Wow.
2: Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was. It was amazing. So, the shot to me is on the night. So Jeanette said to me, she said Oh, there's some problem at the ground. And she had Pierre on and said, uh, we've got an issue here. So yeah, so they they got through to the ground and um and the police had found out and there was lots of bullets and guns around in these caravans. And so Jeanette said, Well we're going home. Tell you I we are going home. We spent all this money coming out here. And I'm um, as you can as you're aware that four years had been every waking moment thinking, welcome Jeanette, we're going home. We haven't played a game yet. We can't go. <laughs> um, but she and so, but they reacted really well. But yeah, it's really interesting. So we were taken into training and escorted back with armed guard, with armed police every session. And I've spoken to some of the players since, and they have no recollection at all. Wow. And then they'll go, "Oh yeah, there, was some, there wasn't there a policeman or something." No, we had armed police at <laughs> every training session, surrounded the ground. And then after the, after the session, when the girls went in the changing rooms. The police, the one, one of the coppers that was there every day, and he'd come in. He did show me the guns and the bullets that he got from the uh, from anybody got that was outside with, with guns <laughs> while we were training. Um, so yeah, so might so as you probably wear, we so we'd planned a lot, and I'd planned a lot as a grandad. So my kangaroo court after the World Cup, as you tend to do, where you get you get. um stuffed with anything to pick up. My kangaroo court was was not preparing to deal with armed gypsy caravans around the training field. (laughs) (laughs) Nice,
0: quite right too, quite right too. Do you plead guilty? Do you plead guilty? Oh yeah, of course. course.
2: I could drink something and uh, don't even
4: want. All right,
0: Jess, walk up. Here we go.
4: (laughs) Today for them, it is all about the experience for England, right at the other end of the scale. Great hands to give it out to Cap Merchant. Merchant, one opportunity, she's darting down that touchline. The flag stays down and it is try number one for England. Merchant again. Pace, now two in support. One of them is Alphonse. the other one is McLean. McLean will draw, the last defender and Kath Merchant Breaks for England now, and England will break away. Lydia Thompson. This is what she's been brought in to do. Look at the pace of Lydia Thompson. That is breathtaking pace. Okay, England's picking the pace up. That's your heart. You see her pace. Former winger, we've already said, "In England, not just four tries before the break, but five. Hunt. Oh, she saw the space! It's a brilliant dummy! Samoa have to flood themselves out with 13 players. And Natasha Hunt has been lively all day. Uh, Smiley Marley Packer looking to add to England scoreboard. Maggie Alfonsi, brilliant hands from She'll look inside and she will find Emily Scarrett. And England now at a counter. It's brilliant hands from Maggie Alfonsi. It really was.
1: So the first game is against Samoa, and one of your players I've got here. One of your players learned very quickly to run around a player and not get caught in bad body shape. Um, and there was a, a dump tackle that resulted in a red card for Samoa. Do you want to sort of recap that game for us? The red card, the tackle, and the and the bad body shape
4: again, really flat. And this is what Katie McLean has added to again. Breaking ability. Sarah Hart is upending cartwheeled and you just cannot do that.
1: Uh, Graham, do you want to take that? Because it's all, it's all contact.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, being <she> <laughs> as polite <laughs> as possible as it can be about the Samoan side, some of their backs are as big as their forwards. And I think it was the fullback uh, that, that Mo, I, I actually think Mo Hunt did try and sidestep her, but but got a, a little bit too close. And then this horrendous, uh, it, it wasn't, a, I mean, it wasn't about the legs going above the horizontal. Mo's legs went above this girl's head. And then, you know, she just drove her back into the ground. And, uh, you know, you jump up screaming red card and, and. Uh, it was it was bizarre, really, um, and I, I'm amazed that Mo got up. And, and there was all sorts of things about jokes about uh, uh, Mo not holding the core, Mo not doing this. But uh, <laughs> it would have been very difficult to uh, to manage it under those circumstances. But the girl came off, and all the bench high fived her. It was after she'd been red carded. It was a horrendous, um, absolutely horrendous. But yeah, so uh, but don't. Uh, you know, we, we didn't play that well in any of the pool games. Uh, I think all the teams in the pool games, Samoa, Spain, and, and Canada uh, offered us some issues that we had to uh, deal with. Um, but, um, but, yeah, Samoa was, it, they're tough. You know, they're, 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 in effect, you could say it's, it's New Zealand's second stroke, third team, in, if you like. And and um, you have to you have to stick with them physically. If you don't stick with them physically, they will hurt you. And they have got some skillful players because they all play in New Zealand. And um, um, it, you know it's the last twenty minutes where you take advantage of your your strength and fitness uh, really against a team like Samoa. I don't know whether Gary sees it slightly different, but
2: yeah, and no, I think for me, and again, what, that focus on the seventeenth of August and the final is that we didn't actually in my head looking back and at the time I felt that we didn't actually wanna didn't have to play that well in those pool games because we were gonna rotate. So we um always in my head I wanted to get our best our best team on the pitch for the semi in the final. And I was pretty convinced we we're gonna get to the semi and and the other a lot of the other countries didn't didn't have the play base that we had to do that. So so for some of for example, we didn't want to over um overextend Emmy scout running into these massive big centres. So we moved it wide quite a lot, which sometimes they it went wide a bit too early. Um so I was I was pretty comfortable that we didn't have to be brilliant in the first in the first few games because again I think we made eleven, twelve, and eleven rotations over the over the pool game, something like that. And that that was always the play in my head. And other coaches um after the pool game and you know, and we were all quite mated we, we all still keep in touch now, to be honest. And, um, they were giving us some real grief about their hotels looked like emergency ward 10 because they'd played their best team three games running to get into the semi. And, uh, I spoke to Graham the other day about this, the, the night before the Island semi, I, I, that's when I was convinced we we're going to win this. Cause our girls were chomping at the bit. They were like, we haven't played enough yet. You know, you've rotated us all the time. They were, they couldn't wait to play. Um, that are French they played their best you know they are at home they wanted to win it they got to the semi and they we're broken and knackered and, and I remember speaking to, to their to their coach um, before their semi against Canada went, all right and he went not really he said we're, we're just he said we're, we're too tired and he, that was before the game so um, so yeah I don't know where I'm going with that but that's that's how I saw that that build up into the for the pool games anyway oh
4: it just clips it through and it's Kay Wilson after it. Just needs to fall on it. Not an easy skill at all. But the England right winger does it very well indeed. And it's try number one for England. Know, a second a little nibble. Waterman, Danielle Waterman. That is what she can do. Kerry Large, it's Amberie. The details beginning to come together now for England. In that midfield, especially Marley Packer, Hunter, it's Claire Allen, and she's over. Crazy, isn't it? There's Marley Packer again. Oh, she's driving away, all the way to the line, Marley Packer! Advantage to England, and again, it's the forwards. So we'll finish this one off, thank you very much. We're going sideways, but they're looking to build here. Already England have the advantage, and it's in the midst of Marley Packer. Marching forward now,
0: and that is about as simple as it comes. Your next game was against Spain. Now, on the surface, that was a a really easy game, Um, but obviously you had a major injury in that game, Um, and your winger was injured.
3: Now, in the warm-up, it was in the warm-up. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Did you, Lydia Thompson, against against Samoa? Lydia Thompson scored a try that you can see on YouTube. And at that moment in time, I reckon she was the fastest winger in the world. And then she she did her ankle in the warm up against Spain. And so, you know, we'd had a and this again, this was Street's idea, but this goes way back to before twenty ten. That you need uh, was it a thousand caps or fifteen hundred caps in a, a twenty six squad to to be competitive in a World Cup. So our rotation policy had been there well before you know 20 2010 uh, probably started about 20 2008 uh, and so the plan was not to play emily scarrett against spain for much of the game unfortunately you know you've got to you got to go to uh, your, your next plan when uh, one of your wingers gets injured in the in the warm up
2: yeah so this might be quite the, interesting and just on uh, on that right? on lydia being um, injured so the coaches out there about match days um I hated match days with a vengeance. I thought we were going to lose. You couldn't do I anything. Thought, well, not even that. You know, that sort of people, you know, if we lost the impression stuff. So that was one of the few occasions where Jeanette spoke to me. So So I used to have my own changing room and I used to go away from everybody. So after leaving the hotel, I didn't see any of the players or staff again until after the game. Um, so I'd have so our manager was amazing, Jeanette. She would find me a little room somewhere. I'd have some water and we had our own radios. So if she ever needed me, I was there. And that and I don't think we ever I was ever never needed ever until that game where suddenly it was just like Shit! Does anybody got any idea where he is? He'll be because he won't be because I'm. So I, I was no I was never anywhere near the team. so Jeanette said, "I'll find him." So uh, she, went, she went. You might have to. You might have to come get involved before the game today. And I'm like, I don't know. She went, you said Lydia's out. So I was like, oh, so I sort of got myself in this really unfamiliar position about being around the warm up for yeah. five minutes with, uh, with the with a team, but then got myself out of it again. But yeah, much pre-match days, for me, were just
0: horrendous. It's almost unheard of for a head coach to be involved in the warm-up. They're all on the field, but they're all talking to each other, or they're talking to the opposite number, or they're wandering around with their arms in their pockets. Eddie Jones says a few things, Wayne Peaback says nothing, Warren Gatlin says nothing. Just lets the staff do it. All your work is done. So, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that, because it's... Uh... So Eddie,
2: Eddie Jones got knocked over by Johnny
0: Major, didn't he? Yes, he Yes, he did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, the final pool game um was against Canada on the 9th of August. Um now obviously that would be a normal pool game in any in any tournament. That would be the normal run-of-the-mill pool game where you had to win or you had to. But can you remember what happened on the 5th of August that completely turned the tournament upside down, Gary?
2: Yeah, so Ireland beat New Zealand, changed everything really. Um, and I was a stickler for preparation and what if scenarios and things and I very quickly worked out that if it was a draw then us in Canada would go through
4: just to that's it Canada their coaches look up going for the first try here it's over the line and it's a try to Canada and it's scary Take England into the lead time. Is, uh, that is exactly what Emily Scarp has done. Russell, oh, captain says I'll take this off, Blackwood. You can argue with that. Canada again, Leith that time.
0: Oh, Try oh, is it.
4: But Gilbert Gilchrist on that England second row as well. Rebecca at Essex. Her afternoon's work is done. Hunter controlling. First time that England have got serious dominance at scrum time. And Hunter is driving over and scores. The England captain. Canada have left. What New England have left. Matthews just about takes the line out and England set up for a drive. Natasha Hunt kicks the ball out and England takes the draw.
2: And so then and it became quite an important thing mentally for me because the um, it sort of just helped a little bit in what how we were going to prepare and what I was and again and the what ifs towards the end so um so obviously we weren't playing for draw, wanted to win, but I was I was very acutely aware that, that a draw would take us through. Um so we spoke to, to the leaders. Um I had a message from somebody at the RFU saying, oh, good luck today, really hope you win. I said, Well to be honest, a draw take us through, and I go, What do you think might be a draw? And I went, Gotta was um, Graham talks about this. I, I I thought I had psychic powers over the first two games where I was pretty much got the scores right, who's gonna score what the score was what the margin was and I was absolutely convinced we were drawing this game
3: it I, did I was, get very weirdly annoying <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so uh, that that's I, I really I was like this is going to be a draw today so I thought right I need to make sure everybody knows this so what I didn't want is that we're drawing as five a, a minute to go and suddenly the doctor or the s or anybody around the pitch not knowing this we're panicking and go we need to go 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 it's a minute to go and score so so we made all everybody aware of it in the staff. We Remi- I reminded everybody during the game about if it's a draw, it's fine. And then it becomes a really weird bit on on Sky where the commentator obviously doesn't know that we're through if it's a draw as well. And and we've done these scenarios in, in training loads and loads of times about if it's a draw, what we're going to do, what's it look like, you know, in in our toughen up Tuesdays, there'll be a big game scenario. It's nil now, five minutes to go, and a draw takes us through. What's that look like? So we're not getting into our final line-out routine and Mo Hunt was talking to the ref and things and actually it just went, it went a little, there was a bit of a scare a few minutes before, but we managed to get the ball back and and we're really calmly, Mo gets it, and the referee says that's time, kicks it off and the Skycom is like, what are we going to do? They've kicked it off and our girls are the calmest i have ever seen them really. We've got the World Cup semi-final and they'll just look at each other, shake their hands and walk off and, Graham, do you, Graham can finish up that Sorry, so the Canadians are devastated and Graham well, walks on the pitch I
3: was I was, I was, was angry uh, because we hadn't played well and I was also angry because our scrum had not been at its best but I would like to point out not that it rankles me that yes in that game our scrum suffered at times but we were the team that scored the bleeding push over try
2: <laughs> just <laughs> to doesn't, make doesn't, that clear doesn't bother him in the slightest does it you can tell uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I was chunting to myself, as always. And Gary and I would sort of... It's. I thought about this the other day, Streaty. You and I would sort of cross paths on game day. And that was about all it was. <laughs> we had a completely different mentality and I would be on the pitch with the players. Not that I was needed. It was for my benefit, not theirs. And I would talk to them. I would say a word to Rocky. But there was the odd occasion where... Rocky Clark and and others would come to me and go, I'm not feeling it, talk to me. And I'd tell them a few home truths. And and Rocky would turn back and say, thanks, Smithy, and off she'd go. And and so I was always on the field and I wasn't needed, you know, Streety liked to get himself away. And it is a really, really important point, that point about everybody knowing what is needed because there was a line-out, we got a penalty, and everybody thought Katie McLean would try and kick this as far as she could, and she just turned sideways to the field and kicked it off, and we caught and drove them all. Mall went to ground, we picked up, Mo's looking at the ref, 40 seconds, pick and go, girls, pick and go, pick and go. 20 seconds, pick and go again, pick and go again. That's time, mo, ball, kick off. Everybody's on the field. Everybody's shaking hands, everybody's doing this. And I went up to Francois Latier the, the Canadian coach. Well done, mate. Well done, congratulations. Were are you talking about? We're out. I said, no, you're not. We're both through. He went, no, we're not. He says, we are. He says, no, you a draw does you a favor. I said, you need to do your maths, mate. Go and have a word with Streetie. (laughs) (laughs) Ireland beat New Zealand. You're through. And he went, what? And he just sprinted off somewhere to try and, I don't know, find a piece of paper and do the sums. Um, But, yeah, he was absolutely (laughs) absolutely gobsmacked that they were through at the end of the game. Fantastic.
1: Obviously, anybody who has a brief awareness of, of what, Of rugby and encounters it on the telly but isn't like an out and out fan is aware of probably the powerhouse nations you know some of the the northern hemisphere countries obviously southern hemisphere countries like new zealand and australia canada doesn't really feature on a lot of people's um, peripheral vision really when it comes to to rugby were the canadians a, a surprise package for you gary
0: not
2: in the slightest, then you know. I'm um, saying so in the world of women's rugby, Canada and USA have been in the top four or five for since we've been playing the game. Really, obviously, we played them in the semi in 2006, and we Nations Cup. We we played them regularly in that as well. So they're incredibly physical side. At one stage, we we did some numbers, and both the USA and Canada were 10 kilos heavier per player than we were, and not in a not in a bad way, in a very physical way, very six foot, very athletic players. They played really they problemed New Zealand down in New Zealand, um, when Graham was down there. And they got a really good coach, a French guy called Francoise, who became quite good friends with me and Graham as well. And um, they they were always going to be a massive threat. And and again, probably outside the game people wouldn't have known that. But you know, they've got some fantastic players. they got they've got some really good forwards. They they troubled New Zealand with their pack in the summer and 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 To trouble New Zealand, you know, you you need to know what you're doing, and um, so no, no surprise for us at all, really. Um, but I did think we were always going to be the better side. I know we didn't play well enough in that pool, but again, going into towards the final, I knew we I knew we got too much of them on the day when it really mattered.
1: Graham, I know you mentioned that that the the scrummaging wasn't up to ideal standards in the pool game. How did you prepare for the final? Was there anything you worked on scrum-wise to, to counter the Canadian threat?
3: Um, not really. No, Scrummage scrumming is, is, is like boxing. You're going to lose a few, you know. And uh, uh, if you look at the, our track record over however many years, we've had the most dominant scrum in the world for many, many years. But uh, you, you, you said we're... Canada surprise package. There's a girl playing for Saracens at the moment. Is it Sophie DeGood Streety? Yeah. Um, her mother captained Canada in the 1984 World Cup or, or 1984. Her father captained Canada in around the 2000s. I don't know whether it was before 2000 or 2003. You know, that's that's a that's a a, a rugby family, a rugby history as strong as anybody in the UK. Um, you know, so Canada have been playing uh, women's rugby for a long time. And, and, you know, the thing about USA and Canada is they have some of the greatest physical athletes in men's and women's sport. And if they ever find out how to harness that with game sense and skills, they'll dominate rugby, whether it's male or female. Um, so it was no surprise that how tough they were going to be. Um, and at that point we, I was allowed 15 minutes per training session for all collision work with the forwards, right? Because the priority was making sure that we had 26 fit players for the final. So uh, Stuart Pickery and Pixie uh S&C would tell us, Streety, you can only have 20 minutes to run. Smithy, you can only have 15 minutes to do everything. Uh, but because of the work we've done for many years, the girls would tell me what they want. I'd say, right, we've got five minutes for scrum or three minutes for scrum. So it's just a case of, of at that point, the players were leading everything. The players were leading the meetings. All, all I did with the forwards especially was tinker with a few things. And, um, and it was a case of, right, what did we get wrong against uh, the scrum in the semi? Let's make sure we get it right in the final. But I think what we've overlooked is the performance against Ireland in the semi-final after they'd beaten New Zealand, because that was the greatest performance of an adherence to a game plan I've ever been involved with or seen. And if you watch how we dismantled the Irish scrum after they'd scored the first try from a catch and drive at a line out, uh, that that laid the foundation to to that win on that day. And, and, And for me, the Irish performance uh, against Ireland in the semi-final is uh, arguably one of our greatest performances of all time. Uh, And that that gave us the foundation for the win in the final. Riley, six foot
4: three, takes the line out. Here come Ireland, towards that line. It goes down now, is there clear sight? Rosser, complains to the referee or claiming there's a try. Thank you. And it is a try. Alfonsi. It's repelled by Ireland quite brilliantly. Hunter. Hunter stretching. She's just short. Try from Hunter. I think it might be Rochelle Clark. Scarrett. Emily Scarrett. She's up to the 22. Emily Scarrett! Just dragged down by Baxter. It's a brilliant defensive Piece of work from the island winger. England's passing already in this game, far more crisp than against Canada. Alphonse driving towards that line. England sensing another score here. Burford just had to stop on the pass momentarily. Merchant. Cap Merchant is in for England. Matthews, a McLean, it's Wilson. Packer, Marley Packer powering away way to the line. Large into that midfield and there's so many options. And Burford goes to the chip ahead. Who's going to be the first to dive on it? It's Marley Packer and there it is. England are in the final yes again.
2: Yeah, the, the Ireland game was, was massive for us, I think, about how we performed. Um the Goose who's a who's a very good friend of mine, the Irish coach, he um he says he loves watching the uh that video. Um but his video runs out after ten minutes where they're winning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Goodness. Um and I said I said he needs to come around my ass <laughs>
3: to
2: watch the end. Yeah, but I think um, but yeah, no, it was um, that second half, and and yes, yeah, so I think the girls were really in that stage. Now we've got to that real B end, and all, all the stuff that we prepared for, all the stuff that their knowledge, all the bits, really started to come to fruition in in that second half. And there was a belief, and you know, we talked about Carrie Large earlier, who are, who would definitely make make an to have a heart attack by blowing a whistle twice she had to have a kick a goal in training. She comes on in the second half, and there's a kick that's out of a range release from the wrong side as a kicker it's on the right side um, and she slots it with ease and just smiles on the way back and I remember speaking to her afterwards Kez how did you kick that today and she went well I wasn't going to ruin anybody's day was I and it was <laughs>
0: great.
2: and he's just like well this is you know this is just about scoring point and you know it's, all, it's about just adding points don't take them off especially now we get to the World Cup. So, yeah, it was just the relaxation in her that she wasn't going to ruin anybody's day. She kicked it or didn't kick it, which was just, it was just a peak. It was just like one of my big memories, actually, from from, from the World Cup was, was that after the game um, and seeing her smile. Next time on the final. I'm still the only English coach who won two World Cups, and I'll tell you why. So it just became a... It was almost, you know, like you your lucky pants your lucky socks It became a bit of that really
4: England a
2: world champions And I remember I just felt frozen to it For me there was no euphoria They'd sneak away with Nicky
1: To uh, Gary Street who has left his post As uh, England women's rugby team head coach It
3: wasn't uh, our decision